Welcome to the Red Couch, uh, well, <laughs> the redcouch.net, which might now be a porn site, I don't know, since we're not maintaining the website anymore, but the Red Couch uh, Game of Thrones podcast, The Iron Couch. Uh, in order to find this podcast, if you didn't see it through Shararai's promotion of it, just do a search on whatever your favorite podcast search engine slash app is for the Red Couch, and It'll pop up off of that. So, as always, I'm Jeremy Zarziggi, and as always, this is Shar Bamani recapping, uh, well, actually, kind of the last two weeks of Game of Thrones, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Shar, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and where you're at? What the heck, man? Like, seriously, I know I need to introduce myself, but you did a good job of that, but what the heck? Like, what did we just witness? (laughs) I mean, I swore after the Red Wedding that that was going to be the last time I missed a full day of work just emotionally agonizing over this stupid show, and they got me again, you know, in a different way. Like, last time I was just depressed for three days and couldn't eat and couldn't think and couldn't sleep because of everything that happened in the Red Wedding and everything that happened with Ned Stark, but this time, I mean, I, I, there's just a lot going on right here. I, I don't even know what to say or what to do right now. I'll tell you, I mean, how are you feeling? Uh, I, I, I'm mixed, um, which I feel is kind of like the, the public reaction in general. I definitely think there were good points and bad points to the episode. Um, I get where you're coming from. Um, you know, there, there, there were things that, things that I was disappointed by and things that I was stunned by, but let's focus first on your stuff. What was your, I mean, what was your big takeaway? What was, I mean, I can guess, but... What was your big takeaway? What was your big shock uh, that uh, that devastated you so severely? I mean, it's hard not to start by talking about Daenerys, right? I mean, we've avoided it all season long in the podcast we've been doing, and that's mainly a tribute to the show, again, which we've mentioned a bunch of times, but this is the one show that could steer you away from its main plot line and its main characters and really make you focus on other things like Theon and his redemption arc or Jorah and the way he went out or, you know, your love personally for Dondarrion and how that closed out. And that really dominated our podcast. But, you know, we're to the point where we're at the finish line and the finish line has everything to do with Daenerys, Cersei and Jon Snow. And this week, you know, it was none other than Daenerys taking center stage. Um, Real quick before I get into that, because I have a long rant coming with respect to Daenerys, just a quick matter of housekeeping which you mentioned but yeah folks if you guys are listening at home and you like this and you want to keep listening it really help us out if you went to the podcast app which is your itunes podcast app if you have an iphone and then look for the red couch news that doesn't suck i repeat the red couch news that doesn't suck and yeah z i can actually confirm we're still not a porn site okay good good that's pretty good to hear if you ask me uh turning back to daenerys you know i want to make clear that I don't want to defend what happened last night. I think what happened last night, 90 to 95, hopefully it should be 100, but most of us can agree is something that, you know, she's gone down a path now that's beyond redemption. Um, The path she's gone down isn't something that I can sit here and defend, and I don't think it's something that, you know, most people can't defend. You know, you you can talk about a bunch of different things which kind of put it in in a better light and explain why she did what she did, but I don't think we can defend it. The thing that shocked me so much, though, you know, besides her decision, obviously, but the thing outside the show that shocked me was coming away from it and seeing everybody, you know, basically take the angle that, oh, yeah, we saw this coming. You know, she's been the Mad Queen all along. She's been a tyrant all along. And this is something that's totally built into her character, which, you know, I'm here to tell you and I will take it to my grave. 
could not be further from the truth. And I think that's part of why this was so shocking to me is that it didn't betray the character. What she did last night by destroying King's Landing after she won the war, it didn't necessarily betray the character they built her up to be this season and maybe bits and pieces of last season, but it betrayed everything, all the character building that we saw for the first six, six and a half, and I'd even argue into most of last season of the show, this wasn't the Daenerys that they had presented us with. The Daenerys that they had presented us with was essentially a folk hero running through Essos, freeing slaves, doing things and you know making the right decision most of the time. And to the extent she made a decision to kill someone, it was largely defensible. Um, you know, before I get into specific examples, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I agree, and that's sort of my take on it, is that the first, um, uh, you know, it's kind of been a, a bit of a roller coaster for Daenerys, but largely it's been an, a, one that's been going up, is that she, um, in the first couple of seasons, first season especially, you know, there's a lot of this sort of, you're not really sure, you know. Um, well, all right. So the first season, you're not really sure who she is at all. You know, it's her dragons haven't hatched yet. You're really not quite sure what to make of her, what her greater role in all this is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then the second season. Okay, but hold on. Before we get to the second season, let's talk about that first right. season then, real quick too, because in all these memes and all the people saying that she was a tyrant all along, one of the main things that people are using against her is the fact that she killed that witch sorceress who ended up killing her husband and son at the end of that but let, let's talk about that and let's quickly talk about her character in that first season so where where we find her in her journey you know the beginning of all this she's living with her brother Viserys who had practically raised her but he was far from a kind brother he was an abusive brother and that was her reality and then she was essentially sold into a marriage like a piece of property so her brother could acquire Khal Drogo's army. But in that whole process in the first season, she developed into a respected figure amongst the Dothraki, which is no small task. If you think the Northerners are tough to trust someone, trust me, the Dothraki were even tougher to trust someone, particularly who's blonde and white and foreign, like she was. But she earned that respect within that. And one of the first acts that most people don't remember is the fact that after one of the little battles where the Dothraki won... Their custom was to take the women and children as slaves, and oftentimes the women would get raped in that. Basically, you know, it was the spoils of war. And she stopped that, and she was brought before Khal Drogo to explain why she was keeping Mago, who was one of Khal Drogo's men, from sleeping with the woman of her choice. And she said, no, this is a practice that needs to stop. And from the very beginning, you know, that was one of those decisions that she made early on, which was essentially to stop rape. And I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly anti-rape so the fact that she made that decision so, it's a bold on, stance to take sure we quite the controversial position hey you know we do that here at the red couch if you're not willing to get on that ledge yourself we will get on the ledge for you so i'm glad to be that man on the wall but yeah that, i mean that was that was one of the first decisions she she made and that's what led that, so, so doing that is what led you know call drogo to get into a fight and him getting hurt and then that's what led to that you know we'll just call her a witch for lack of a better word, treating him and purposefully killing him and purposefully killing her newborn baby. I believe he was born at that point, right? Well, as, uh, 
well remember the baby was essentially stillborn as as the sacrifice that uh saved quote-unquote saved drogo um so yeah kind of both i mean born is a strong word true yeah you're right you're absolutely right and i missed that i missed that detail again back to it though so she purposefully kills drogo and one of the things that you know all these naysayers of daenerys or the people who are saying that she's been a tyrant all along point to the fact that she ended up killing the sorceress but again just like i'm anti-rape i'm also anti-killing of husbands for no reason and you know how do you i don't know how you blame daenerys in this circumstance where she was duped into sacrificing her baby to save drogo only to find out that they're both dying so again, you know, you have two actions within that first season while she's still developing that are completely defensible and are completely her going out of her way and putting herself in a precarious circumstance where it makes sense. You know, the first one was done to protect others and the second one was done as a form of retribution. Right. Well, and, and then, is sorry, Shar, go ahead. No, no, you tell me. Well, and and I you know, that's kind of where I'm going with this is you know, that first season, you know, we don't really know exactly what to make of her. And and your point is well taken that she comes in as a victim of abuse through through her brother. And she's not weak by any stretch, but she's definitely sort of beaten down. And she, you know, once she marries Drogo, she finds in Drogo this, this male figure that she hasn't had before in her life that actually... You know, respects her and to some degree empowers her and I think that that stance she takes is a, is a part of how Drogo does come to respect her and empower her is that Drogo didn't want a uh, you know just another slave or a concubine you know when he married her you know he wanted somebody that's to some degree an equal or at least as equal as there is in Dothraki culture um, and she sort of lives up to that and I think through that she sort of begins to find her way now the part that's interesting about that though is that first season what I think sort of shapes her character development for you know most of the run of the show is that her brother is such a you know entitled tyrannical sort of douchebag and I think that sort of reaction to him and seeing how terrible he is is a big part of why she tries to be more just and and tries to be more compassionate and tries to be a different kind of ruler from there going forward and and then the second season i was gonna say that right and it's i mean it sounds like we're agreed on season one though through season one we've seen nothing on her part that's tyrannical or power hungry or you know bloodthirsty in fact you make a great point it's quite to the contrary it's to the contrary that she had grown up with her brother and seen the way he is and she didn't want to be that way and she wanted to lead a different way and Season two, I was going to skip over season two and head straight to Slaver's Bay, which I think happens in season three. But if you have something about season two you want to mention. No, what I was going to say about season two is season two, I basically was going to say something along those same lines, is that, you know, season two, we still, you know, we really don't know what to make of her. I mean, we've got all, because season two is largely about her finding her own way, you know, about her dealing with trying to figure out how she's going to get ships, how she's going to amass this army, trying to figure out who to trust, who not to trust. And and the only, again, the only thing you can really point to in season two that's sort of wrathful is when she burns uh, the House of the Undying, 
But again, kind of like you Which said, was done in response to what though? The them trying to steal her dragons and and exactly. and essentially enslave her as well. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, 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 and I think overall where I'm going with this is I do agree with you, Shar, that you know we see these flashes of entitlement and temper kind of starting in season two. You know, once she has these dragons and once she's sort of you know amassed somewhat of a following, I think she really does kind of start to for lack of a better term, by her own hype um, and start really seeing herself as a queen. And she definitely has this sort of temper, but it's all still directed to this uniform kind of, uh, you know, wanting to be a better ruler and being compassionate and being, you know, empathetic to others. And on top of that, we haven't seen her unnecessarily be the aggressor yet. Everything so far has been responsive. Agreed. She responded to the witch in season one. She responded to the warlock in season two who had imprisoned her. And that takes us to season three when she arrives in Slaver's Bay and she arrives in Astapor the first time, which is basically the seat of the Unsullied, where they're controlled by the masters there. And maybe this is the first time where we see her being the aggressor when we have that scene at the end of it when she'd been duping the slave trader the whole time into thinking that she can't speak Valyrian and she suddenly reveals, oh yeah, you know, joke's on you. I've been understanding everything you're saying the whole time. She gets control of the Unsullied, has her dragon burn the slave trader, and then she has the Unsullied basically take down all the masters of the city. So maybe this was the first time we saw her being aggressive, but who was she aggressive towards? She was aggressive towards slave traders. And this is another one. This is the second example everyone uses that, oh, she killed the poor masters of Slaver's Bay. Good. (laughs) Good. Good. You know, I was happy when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves here in real life, and I was just as happy when she freed the slaves in Slaver's Bay. And I don't think anybody had a problem with it at the time. You didn't see people freaking out at the time being like, oh my god, these poor slave owners, all they want to do is run an honest business and Daenerys comes in and blows everything to torches? Now nah, everybody was cheering for her. Everybody was reacting like she's a liberator. She's the breaker of chains. That's when that title was born. And so we still have that moment going there, but she didn't stop there. So she's acquired the Unsullied, and she has three dragons that you know aren't full-blown, but they, they need some time. Rather than just sit on the sidelines, what does she do? She marches to the two other slave cities there and frees them. But here's the key part about it, and here's the part I want everybody to focus on, is that she, you know, when she went to, I think it was Yunkai, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when she went to Yunkai, she had the chance to go in and march the Unsullied there, and she'd probably lose half the Unsullied, and you know, it, trying to take over Yunkai, and it would probably result in the death of civilians and a bunch of innocents, but she still could have marched into the city and probably taken it. But what did she do? You remember what she did? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yunkai was was that the one? What happened with Yunkai? I ref- Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to employ the Socratic method. With yeah, you, now now, now I feel like I'm back in law school. All right, uh, <laughs> refresh my memory, Shar, because I I might be I, I'm trying to remember because there's. Because there's, that yeah, one. you've got Astapor, Yukai, Yunkai, and the other one. And then finally Marine, Marine. with Yunkai, or with the second city they went to, what they did was they sent the Unsullied in at the cover of night to hold a meeting with the common people and the slaves who were inside the city, giving them weapons and saying, look, we're not going to fight a war here. If you guys want freedom, fight it to yourself. Fight it yourself. We'll support you. If you liberate yourself and you fight for yourself, we'll support you. But we're not going to torch down the city. 
So, so again, you know, this is everybody says, oh, when's her example of when has she ever negotiated and when has she not been a tyrant and taken by fire and blood? This was the first example mm-hmm. back then was her going in by the least intrusive means and empowering the people of that city. It was kind of like maybe like sending the CIA in to start a revolution in a different country without us formally declaring war. But, it was, you know, it was it was exactly that. And she liberated the city without torching it down and doing what she did last night. And this was, you know, this started to shape the person that we were presented with that, you know, she was, you know, she was only reacting when she was provoked. She wasn't burning down cities, even though she could go cause a bunch of chaos there. And she could have come to Westeros. She could have started planning for Westeros and sat and, you know, saved her army for that. But instead she decided, you know, my mission now is to free the slaves here and I'm going to put my mission for Westeros for a later date. I'm going to put myself in danger, and we're going to take care of business here in a continent which I don't consider home because my plan is to get back home to Westeros, but I'm going to take business here, and that's that's exactly what she did. Right. Um, I guess, you know, there's a bunch of other examples we can give, too. You know, one, one of the other examples that everyone uses is uh, on her way to the final city when she arrives in Marine is that she ended up crucifying 163 masters, which, hey, you know, again, bold statement here, but never on the side of crucifixion. That being said, who was she crucifying, and why did she choose 163? Because on her way in, those same masters had handpicked slaves to crucify 163 of them to send a message to her. So this was a message back to the slave traders saying that your aggression won't go without a response where I'm, I'm here now things are different there's a new law in town you're gonna have to make nice without human trafficking and there's gonna be a difference so this was you know all through season you know i think this was seasons three and four and possibly even five you have her playing the breaker of chains mold and doing things in a way that you know, isn't necessarily her being aggressive, but responding to people, unless the people, you know, she's being aggressive against are the people who've been slave traders there. And I dare you, I challenge anybody to come out here and say, no, no, we feel bad for the slave traders. It just feels like there's this prisoner of the moment circumstance going on now because she done lost her mind last night and burned King's Landing that this was always her, but this wasn't her. This wasn't what she was doing there. Well, yeah, and also you, you, um, you also uh, skipped over the, you know, when she gets recaptured by the Dothraki and, and burns uh, Vos Dothrak, you know. But again, to go back to your point, uh, right. justified, you know. I mean, it's 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 justified. Um, the thing I'll add, and and I guess this is me sort of playing devil's advocate. I mean, I largely agree with you. Um, but the one thing I, I'll add to to somewhat of a defense or I guess support of this you know people saying it was there all along is the one thing the show has sort of painted throughout the preceding seven seasons is one she definitely has this very stern seething sort of vengeance to her um, as, as popped up time and time again and like you said it's it's been largely justified and the targets of it have been you know pretty terrible um, but it, in some ways, it's also sort of slipped a little more. Like, for example, you know, the most recent one was her executing um, Sam's family, you know, for basically just failing to bend the knee, you know, and, and that was 
pretty much their only sin. So you can argue that there has been some degree of, if not escalation, at least variability in her her temper and her sternness. The other thing, too, is she's definitely, again, using to steal my term from before, she's bought more and more of her own hype. She's believed in herself as this anointed, entitled person more and more. And definitely that's been... They've played that somewhat as a... Not allegory, but a uh, you know reflective on the way uh, Viserys was, and and right. But don't you think buying your own hype is far different and worlds apart from this notion that she was a tyrant? Oh no, or no, no. She was an yeah, unacceptable no. tyrant. I mean, she wielded power for sure. She bought her own hype and she wielded power and she gave orders. But name one person in this show in a position of power that hasn't given orders. Sure, no, I agree. But my point is this, okay. Um, I think there is an argument to be made. Uh, Not that she was a tyrant all along, but she's definitely... There's been a slippage of her character into maybe somewhat less likable and less redeemable. Or not redeemable, but less um, uh, pure of heart, however you want to look at it, as, as the show's gone on. I think you can definitely make you know, that argument, that there, those signs have been there. But I do agree this belief that she's been this tyrant all along and that she's the kind of person that that would do you know that would you know essentially commit genocide upon king's landing uh is is definitely is is not i and, i, I, and agree. I agree i agree with you too that there's been a slippage and we'll we'll get to that but i think the question isn't whether there's been one i think we all admit that the show has gone there i mean certainly mm-hmm. in the last two episodes i think the key question is when and I, you know, that's that's the main point I'm trying to get across here is that the when to me was much later than everyone else, and I'm shocked that it isn't an argument with some people about whether the when happened in season six or season seven or season eight. A lot of people think this is the way she's always been, right. but so far we've made it through four seasons or maybe even five seasons at this point because I. I think she comes over. She comes over in season six or seven to Westeros when she six. arrives in Dragonstone. It may have even been season seven. So, you know, we made it through her entire Essos circumstance. You know, by by giving a bunch of examples here, where it, again it was measured reaction. It was you know even like you said when she when she took care of Vias Dothrak in one of the craziest scenes we've ever seen when she walks out of those flames. It was done because she was a prisoner there. And it wasn't done just because she was a prisoner there. She was already out. It was done because they were holding other women, former widows of calls, as prisoners there. And that was another practice she found unacceptable. And she wanted to break that cycle. Yeah, well, and I think the show has always foreshadowed, and, and, and the books do too, that she has this in her, this Targaryen in her. You know, that she has the... The you know as Viserys used to call it the dragon you know that she has this the the the, the that blood that fury that vengeance that sense of entitlement she has in her, that that trait does to some degree latently exist in her and I think I think the show's sure. always presented that but I agree with you that it's always been something that's been to one degree or the other under control and and under check and and I do think I guess let me put it this way is I think there's definitely an argument to be made that she is the type of person that could have done 
this. I could have committed this type of genocide upon King's Landing. It's just it. She has it, she hadn't gotten anywhere close to that until yeah, really the last yeah, really the last couple of episodes. You know, and it, it's you know it 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 gets back to one of my big complaints about the last two seasons, especially. Um, is you know my uh, the the pacing of the narrative you know if if this was something that had started this turn had started you know four seasons or well three seasons sure. ago sure I, I would have a much easier time with people being like oh yeah, yeah well this makes sense but I agree with you but it didn't it didn't right no I I uh, it, that, I definitely agree and that's that's exactly so that was the next step in this evolution where i was going with it because we still haven't addressed the time where she's in westeros Mm -hmm. so let's talk about that she comes to dragonstone in season seven and she's making plans to take king's landing and she's got her army she's got the dothraki she's got the unsullied she's got three full-blown dragons at this point i mean we saw what she could do with one and half the army that she had uh you know back at the start of season seven imagine how easy it would have been to do what she did in season seven when she had three dragons and not only that she had the tyrells on there so this is the big this is the big part of season seven was episode two they have a meeting in that dragonstone war room where it's her and her people but the tyrell olena tyrell is also there on behalf of the tyrells the sand snakes are there on behalf of dorn and then Yara's there with you know one portion of the iron fleet that's loyal that isn't loyal to daenerys it's now loyal to khaleesi and all three of those parties or practically begging her, let's just attack King's Landing. Let's be done with it. There's no question we're going to win. We can end this war now. You know, they're all pissed off. They're all seeking vengeance against Cersei. And Daenerys is the one. And, you know, people argue that she did it because Tyrion told them. But it doesn't matter because the end decision was hers. So she made the decision at the advice of what Tyrion gave her that, no, we're not attacking King's Landing. We're not killing people for no reason we've come up with a better plan and our plan is to take Casterly Rock and then we're going to surround the city and we're going to slowly weed them out and we're going to force them to negotiate with us. So people want to give examples of, oh yeah, you know, this was always her. She never negotiated. She literally, she literally was ready to negotiate at the beginning of season seven before everything took a turn for the worse when Euron attacked Yara and, uh, you know, Euron's fleet attacked Yara, and we all know how that turns out. And then when they were busy, when, when Daenerys was busy taking Casterly Rock, the Lannisters and those tra- traitor bastards, the Tarleys, who I'll get to in a second, ended up surprising Elena Ty- abandoning Casterly Rock, letting Daenerys have that, and they ended up surprising the Tyrells in the Reach and taking that. So this was, you know, again, this is another example of her not being a tyrant, not taking things by fire and blood. Yeah, she may have been all talk, but she wasn't doing it. She wasn't doing any of the things that people are trying to accuse her of. So it's still, I mean, we're in season seven now. And like you said, this whole develop, you know, this whole notion of her character and everything that's wrong with the pacing now, it, they weren't pointing us in that direction. They may have dropped a line here and there, but for a large part, she was still this conquering folk hero who'd come with good intentions and she just given Yara the speech about how our dads were bad men and they built a bad world, and we're not going to be like that. We're going to build a better world. So for all intents and purposes, midway through season seven, it's still the same Daenerys that we're talking about. Right. No, I agree. And then moving on from there, you know, just just hitting up on a couple more points because you know I think we've given enough examples here to make our point. But 
hitting on a couple more points. So one of the big things that everyone liked to point to is the fact that she, you know, she said Dracarys and she ended up killing the Tarleys who were defeated in a war. But let's let's take a second and let's just talk about these innocent Tarleys that everybody wants to defend. First, they were huge a-holes to Sam Tarley, which I'm not saying is a reason for a death sentence, but, you know, they, they, they already started off on a bad foot with most of us, which everyone likes to conveniently forget on that basis. But right before Daenerys ends up, you know, giving their death sentence and executing them, what do the Tarleys do? They were pledged for years upon years to the Tyrells, and they betrayed them. They betrayed the Tyrells, who at that time was... Daenerys were Daenerys's rival and that's what led directly to that awesome Elena Tyrell moment where she said tell Cersei it was me which hey you know if she's got to go out I'm glad she went out that way but it was the Tarly's betrayal that led to that and they're on their way back to King's Landing and this is when Daenerys decides hey I've lost Yara I've lost Elena like it or not it's time to you know get involved in this war I'm going to lose every ally I have and you know to an extent I pledge my duties to these allies too so if I'm not there defending them Who's ever going to want to align with me again? So she attacks Jamie's army, the Lannister army, and the Turley's army in the field, and she wins. And normally, people in the Westerosi world, when they win a battle, there aren't going to be that many survivors. But you know what? She was fine with that. The people that were still alive, she was okay with leaving them as survivors and taking them as prisoners of war. And she did what every person would have done in this situation, what literally every person would have done in this situation which was tell them, hey, you've lost the battle. You killed my rival. You tried to kill me. You've lost the battle. You only have one choice here, which is to say, I'm loyal to you now. Otherwise, you're going to die. So she gave them a choice, and they chose poorly. So, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't get how the Tarleys are brought up as an example that, oh, my God, she was mad, and she done lost her mind all along. In fact, I'd argue that if she didn't do what she did, if she would have just given them like a pat on the butt and said, you know what, no hard feelings, just pretend like you're going to the wall and taking the black, that would have meant she's crazy. That would have meant she's, you know, like a lot of people like to say, like the stupid, naive Starks who believe everything's going to be okay and hunky-dory. No, it wasn't going to turn out that way. She was left with no choice at this point. So again, Killing the Tarleys is just another, and this is late in season, this is midway through season seven, this is just another continuation of the fact that we still have not seen this person killing for the sake of killing. Not once have we seen this person killing just because I want to kill. Maybe you don't agree that she should have killed the Masters and Marine without first interviewing each one and wondering how involved they were in the slave trade. Okay, maybe. But still her position is defensible that... You were a slave trader. You were affiliated with a slave trader. And you're in a position in the society to be affiliated with them. This is just not how it's going to be anymore. So everything was still thought out. Everything was still defensible. And there wasn't this rage heading midway into season seven of, her, you know, any inkling of her turning into this mad psycho that's going to start burning people for the fun of it. Well, okay. So as far as the Tarleys go... Um... You know, I think the bigger issue is is this, is that, you know, she did that against the advice of her advisors. Um, and, and the advice of her advisors was largely aimed at the concept of, listen, you might be this hero in es uh, Essos, but here in Westeros, nobody friggin' has any reason uh, to love you or support you 
you need to give them a reason and you need to show that you're you know capable of mercy and that you're capable of compassion and that you know you're you're somebody they can like and respect and when given the option of of trying to build that or given the option of of being very um and by by punning completely intended draconian um you know she she opts for the latter i mean she opts not to cut them any slack i mean you're 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 right what she did isn't out of line with what other uh kings would have done but it didn't help her cause of trying to generate love rather than fear you know she basically came in uh you know as much as she sort of protests that nobody loves her she's really done nothing to actually gain the love of of the 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 bannermen and and the commoners and whatnot uh in westeros so so from that perspective i do think again i'm not saying it says she's a a psychopathic genocidal maniac that she executed the tarleys but it it definitely that goes to her character of having that that lack of um mercy and that 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 uh very strong um brutal kind of uh, regimentality that uh, the the other Targaryens have had throughout the years. See, and I I'd agree with you. If immediately after the battle, she's like execute them all, no man left alive. But she didn't. Again, yeah. she gave them that option. So in them refusing that option, I just don't know what there is to do at that point. And I guess we can agree to disagree on this point, And that's the beauty of the show. I mean, it really is the beauty of the show. As pissed off as we want to be. You know, there can be a thousand different interpretations about the same event here, and they've done a good job of making every character nuance, and that's why there can be so many different interpretations. But I think on the Tarleys, we're going to have to agree to disagree well, on that one point where I think she did do what she needed to do to inspire some love, which is to say, hey, I'll be forgiving. You just have to accept the new reality now, which it is. I mean, it, it is the new reality. Right. You know, there wasn't – if she turns them loose and says, okay, go ahead and disobey me and denounce me – then she's going to end up dead. Well, so and, I don't think she was left with any option there. And I think to piggyback on something you said, um, I think that's why we both have an issue with this, with Danny in this episode. Is Completely. This, this is a show where there's been a lot of nuance and moral ambiguity and various layers to everybody's decision-making, etc., etc. And right. that, that doesn't exist. That didn't exist this latest episode. No. You know? No, I mean it was such a depart work, which we're about. You know, yeah. I mean we're about to get into that, and that you know that is the main problem with what happened is because it wasn't nuanced and it it, it was a betrayal of everything that we had seen in the first th- seven seasons. Again, I mean if you can think of an example, you know, tweet me. I'm at Charmani Live. Sorry, Zicky, I don't know if you got a Twitter handle going on. Yeah, not really. Um, uh, but you know there, there's, there's a different way you can get in touch with us you can find us on Facebook let us know because we're happy to hear it we want to hear one example other than the ones you know we mentioned because those right now are all defensible you can maybe put a point of argument to the other side but you know don't try it as far as the anti-rape and anti-slavery goes maybe focus on the Tarly part of it but I mean there are there really are no examples through season seven of where she's just acting out of her mind and she's crazy everything had a position behind it for the most part and everything was defensible for the most part and i think one of the things that triggered people was what happened with barris early right. on in this ep- episode right no yeah no i agree uh, 
And I mean, you know, you and I, I think, love Barris. And my, my friend London is going to hate this uh, just because for some reason she's a huge Peter Baelish fan for reasons that I can't explain. I honestly didn't think any of those existed in this world. But, you know, Varys was Varys was lovable. I mean, Varys was the perfect juxtaposition to Baelish. And we saw that from the beginning. You know, the show kept on pitting in, in the first couple seasons. There was that big speech they had in the throne room where they were discussing who's going to be on the throne. And it, it was made clear from an early on their skill sets were the same. Their ability to use information and manipulate people. Right. Well, l- let uh, me... Let me interrupt you for a second. Um, sure. Because I think this is a good time to interject. Um, and, and this feeds into kind of my major takeaway, or takeaways, however you want to look at it. But I want to focus uh, on this particular one. The the One of the things I, I hated, absolutely hated about this episode, and there's a lot of things I didn't like about this episode, but there's also some things I was willing to cut slack to. But one of the ones I... Unambiguously despised was, and and it goes to the the this comparison between Baelish and Varys is both Baelish and Varys. You're right. We're painted as these very clever, very um, kind of conniving characters. There were always two steps ahead, etc. And just like Baelish, because that's the reason why I hated Baelish's death so much is he went from being this very clever, very conniving sort of character to, to being just completely outfoxed in really the most pedestrian way possible. Um, and and I just felt his death was just so uh, undeserving of his character. You know, I hated Baelish, but he still deserved to die in a more satisfying way rather than just being like, well, it turns out I guess he was an idiot all along or something. And Varys was the same thing, you know, except for, obviously, we liked Varys, but same kind of deal. He's undone in, in, in the dumbest way possible. Like, it's, it's you know, how on earth he managed to get discovered and snuffed out so quickly when he was able to sit there and manipulate, you know, essentially three kings prior to this. Well, actually, probably more than that if you really want to pace it out, but he was able to you know, manipulate Baratheon and 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 uh, Targaryen, and then whoever you know was kind of on the throne after Robert died at you know any given time, um, and and all without ever being caught, all without ever having his true motivations. And this episode, you know, he at the end of last episode realizes that he can't have Danny, and basically just I don't know gives up and is, is doesn't even try to not get executed i mean it, it just uh, again speaking of sure, things, but I, I think i have an answer to that and that's a really good point and that feeds into where i was going with, that feeds in exactly to where i was going with this and the reason i think Varys isn't able to talk his way out well one he gets caught because Tyrion gives him up but you're right it, it was very unvarious like it was completely unvarious like not to be able to get out of the circumstance because like daenerys said she's he served more kings than anybody else you know, in in this Westerosi circle of, you know, main characters that we've had. Mm-hmm. But the reason he wasn't able to talk himself out is because he had no strikes left. And the reason he had no strikes left is when he came to Daenerys last season, in, in, or at the end of season six, when he was brokering that deal with Dorne, he made clear and he was honest about it that, yeah, I was involved in the plot to kill you in season one. And because of that, Daenerys was slow to trust him but again, another example, and everyone wants to be pissed off about what happened at Barris last night, but another example of her being level-headed and forgiving him and knowing that you know he had his reasons 
is that he she let him give the explanation of why he was involved and it was his duty at the time and he thought that's best and he didn't know her you know from you know a fly on the wall any differently from a fly on the wall and she accepted that and she said look don't betray me because if you do there will be consequences which any of us would say any of us who had someone try to kill us and we're saying, you know what, we're going to trust you now because Tyrion tells me to trust you, Tyrion vouches for you, and it's going to be for the good of the realm. And, you know, again, going back to that Baelish Varys juxtaposition, every decision Baelish ever made was strictly for himself, and he wasn't bashful about that. We got to know him as a character. He was the purely selfish advisor, whereas Varys was the exact opposite. He was the purely selfless advisor. He was the guy who, you know, through it all, really just wanted the good of the realm. I mean, to the extent, you know, a Bernie Sanders figure, and I don't, I know you compared someone to Bernie Sanders on Facebook. John well, I think Snow. It was Daenerys. Oh, John Snow, right? Or no, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was Daenerys to Bernie Sanders and John Snow to to Joe Biden. I can I can expound on that if people want, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, and we should. I kind of want you to come back to that because I found it interesting. But you know, back to Varys. Varys was, you know, he it was understandable. So she forgave him, and she said, "Don't betray me again." And what did he do? He betrayed her. Yeah. And Tyrion told her that he betrayed him. So there was, you know, as and trust me, nobody misses Varys as much as this guy, and I'm sure you do too, and we all do. And I hated to see it go out like this, but I wasn't pissed off at her. I didn't think she no, was no, a no. I, I'm not for making that decision. I'm not saying I, I know that. you're not saying it. I know you're not saying it. I'm talking to the world out there right. who's using Varys as, you know, just another example like they did with the Tarleys and like they did with their treatment of the slave traders in Slaver's Bay. But I'm speaking to them, and I'm saying that, you know, Varys, while we don't like it and while, we, you know, it, we wish it didn't happen, he didn't have any strikes left. Right. They started that relationship with that understanding, and the fact that he went and started sending ravens to the rest of the kingdom, denouncing her claim to the throne, that was the final blow. Right. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, if you need one more example, and I think we've given enough examples, but if you need one more example, it was the same thing with Jorah. Jorah was also involved in that plot against his life, and this is, a, again, this is a good juxtaposition of Varys, because... Jorah made the same mistake. Her and Jorah had that mini breakup, and he came back, and he, you know, proved his loyalty to her, and they died, you know, they, they went out together, and they went out, you know, Jorah went out with the best relationship with her because he didn't cross her again. So if she was this vengeful, out-of-her-mind psycho, A, she wouldn't have let Jorah back in, and B, she never would have trusted him again, but that was the human side of her allowing Jorah back into her good graces and the reason he didn't get executed is because he didn't fuck up again and betray her the way Varys did so you know again we're seeing all these flashes of level-headed clear-thinking reasoning until last night so what the heck happened last night right well no I agree and and, and like I said I guess my greater point is the th- and the big reason, the big complaint a lot of people had with last night's episode, and it's something I generally share, is that there is there were several things that were either flat-out breaks from the character or were sort of rushed and and not fully developed turns in the character. Like, And again, that, that's where I, the example of Varys, you know, Varys being so stupid as to get, you know, to be so blatant about it when there's 90 other different ways he could have gone about it. 
um, and not gotten caught, especially when he knows he's on his last strike, as you put it, was a complete break from his character. Um, the way that, uh, you know, that Jamie, you know, acted at the last episode in this episode, maybe not a break from his character, but definitely, you know, it's, again, something that potentially conceivably you could see in his character arc, but it happened too fast. You know, it happened too dramatically. It happened without enough motivation. Again, same thing going back to, obviously, the overarching issue with Daenerys. You know, is this something, her committing genocide like this, is this something that is, she's potentially, they've they've laid the groundwork she's potentially capable of? Yes, but yeah, it would have... Re- sure, sure. It would have required... should have required... Right, it should have required a lot more than this. And it should have happened in a, you know, a much more developed, much more, you know, um, uh, motivated, progressed way. You know, it's just all these things that happened this episode where it was, you know, just a switch was flipped so that they could get to, you know, some point that either was, you know, again, rushed through the character arc or even just basically taking the characters out of their arc entirely. Right, and see, I agree that a switch was flipped, and I do think they actually laid down some of the groundwork for it. But again, if I haven't, you know, beaten a dead horse enough, my point out here to the general world is that it was a switch that was flipped. Right. This wasn't, you know, maybe there was a tiny bit of a, you know, like the quote from the Targaryen up at the wall with Jon Snow who said a Targaryen alone in the world is a dangerous thing, and maybe her I'm going to break the wheel statement to Tyrion in season five was another small thing, but there wasn't groundwork. She was a folk hero. She was, you know, made as like this champion of the people doing things that were measured. And sure, she killed people, but they were in times of war and they weren't genocide and they weren't killing innocents like they were last night. So, you know, we can agree that a switch was flipped. And that's what I want to settle upon is that that's what they led to this season, that a switch was flipped. And the switch is obvious. The switch is, you know, she lost most of the Dothraki, which, as we covered, was her original family. I mean, these were the closest people she had to family. She basically traded her brother for them, and she loses most most of them in the Battle of Winterfell. The closest thing she had to a brother was, even though Lord Friendzone doesn't appreciate being a brother because he wanted more, um, and I'm glad they finally acknowledged that, by the way, in the show. They never acknowledged the friend zone thing until she brought it up to right. Jon Snow last episode. Um, but, you know, she lost Jorah, which she loses a Dothraki. She loses Jorah. She loses another dragon, which is like her child. So she's basically lost two children. And then she loses a Missandei in the most excruciating of fashions. And she's basically put up against a wall. And I'm not justifying what she did. But I, I get if, – if you want to tell me that the whole point of this wasn't pinging her as this ruthless tyrant, but it was just to say that this is a chick that just flipped and she was always capable of flipping because she had these weapons of mass destruction at her disposal, that's an explanation that I'm on board with. And that's exactly what I think happened. And it sucks. And it's to your greater point, which I think you should get back into, but it's to your greater point that – you know, we were almost across the finish line, and we'd spent seven years part investing in this show, and the main reason we invested in this show was because of the character development with each of them, which was beautiful, which, again, led us to really give a shit about a guy like Theon because of everything that we'd see Theon go to in his entire arc and really made us care about Jamie, who started off by throwing a nine-year-old kid out the window, but we saw, you know, 
shades, some of us, like me, more reluctant to come around than others. Um, but we saw shades of him turning into a better person as it went along. And they developed these characters so well. And Daenerys, most of all, and finally, you know, when she has a ch- when they have a chance to be consistent with her character and just accept Cersei's surrender, she, you know, it just go it goes beyond anything that was you know reasonably expected. Maybe people theorized about her turning into a Mad Queen, but there aren't examples to back that up. Yeah, no, I agree. What did you so you know? Yeah, Getting off Daenerys, what did you think? I mean, I, I guess Jamie is something that you you've spoken a lot about, and you know that's another controversial thing about Jamie going back and actually going back to Cersei and dying with her. What did you? What were your thoughts on that? On Jamie, right? Well, and again, so uh, Jamie, similar to the Daenerys thing, okay, is. There's a cut, so and 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 really, it's not even a matter of being rushed. Although it's definitely rushed, but they st- okay. So let me say this, right? In watching this episode, uh, and I'll, I'll go back to Daenerys for a second uh, as, as it relates to Jamie. There are things they could have done to have similar sort of points and and potential not resolutions, but potential progress of the narrative that would have been more in line with previous uh, development. Um, and like with Daenerys, one of the things they could have done is, you know, rather than having her just lay waste to everybody in the city, you know, they could have had her decide to lay waste to all of the, the Lannister forces that had just surrendered and to Cersei and, and all of them and, and, and murder all of them. And then that would have kept that same sort of gray area that we've kind of become used to and it would have been enough where Jon Snow would have you know continued doubting you know is this really the person I should be supporting it would have been enough to piss off Tyrion and alienate him you know I mean it, it, it they could have gotten to sort of the same conflict that they're trying to get to in a more believable way same thing with Jamie. so Jamie's returning to Cersei if he had a real motivation to do it, would have been something that would have worked. So, like, at again, last episode, if Tyrion had initially told him, you know, we're going to ransack the city, you know, everybody's going to die, including Cersei, you know, if you can reach her and try to convince her, you know, basically what he said this episode, then that would have been good. That would have provided him motivation to, to actually... To, to go and, and try to reconcile with Cersei. Or, if it had been a scenario where he had rode out, you know, to to find Cersei to kill her, you know, and then finds her, you know, broken and crying and, you know, seeking redemption and 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 comfort, and, 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 and then he comforts her and they, you know, both die, you know, as, as they did. You know, something along those lines would have been more fitting for the character. Instead, what we have is he just... Up, literally just wakes up one morning, uh, decides he's going to go reunite with Cersei, goes and reunites with Cersei. Cersei is completely unredeemed until the, you know, at, at the very end. Uh, there's, there's no redemption from her whatsoever at any point. Uh, and, and he dies with her. And it, it was just, it, it betrayed, and I know we have different opinions on Jamie uh, and have, you know, for a while now. 
Um, I know you're not a fan of his, but I've been a big fan of his and his arc. You know, I thought it was one of the most compelling arcs, one of the most believable arcs, one of the most, you know, uh, the curving of, of all of the character arcs. And all of that was just pissed completely away the last two episodes, basically just to return him, uh, to the, the, the place that he he was before and and i get the the point of well he always comes goes back to cersei fine he does but before when he's done it there's been a motivation each time this time he just did it because you know that was what the plot commanded of him and they wanted him to you know fulfill the stupid prophecy and or you know whatever and it just i thought that was one of the worst parts of the show um this episode and like i said there's a lot of issues with this episode but i thought maybe after you know, probably after danny that was the the least believable and least fulfilling uh, of all of the character turns and i think most people agree with you i think you're definitely on the majority of this one i was this was actually the one that i was the most fine with and not only was i fine with it i actually liked it and it isn't that you know i wanted to see jamie die and that i you know to his grave i hated him yeah i never came around on him to me, Jamie was still the prick who, you know, cornered Ned Stark for no... Well, I guess he had somewhat reason. But he was still the prick who, you know, basically attacked all my favorite characters and threw Bran out of that window. I couldn't get that out of my head. Couldn't get into the fact the conflicts he had with the Starks. You know, it, it, so his redemption arc, as you mentioned to me, I was, I was always slow to come around, but I don't think I ever fully, truly came around. I think there were definite snippets of things that Jamie did that made you respect him. And, you know, he'd make a decision where he'd save Brienne or even, you know, when, when he was fighting Ned and Ned got injured by the Lannister soldier and he didn't finish Ned off because, you know, in his words to Tywin later that season in season one, he said it'd be unclean. So there, there were definite things you could respect about, but I never, I never came around to Jamie, but the one thing, you know, that I thought the truest part of his character was that, you know, they painted him as, this, you know, in a way that is tragic figure who was known as being the Kingslayer for events that happened before the show. But, you know, as he explained to Brienne, and I think what it was season three, was that, you know, he did that to save his family. And he explained that this season. He did it to save his family. So I think he was this tragic figure who, you know, did the best with what he could, was loyal to his family. But most of all, the reason he was a tragic figure is because he was always beholden to Cersei. Literally from the second he was in the womb, through his last day, he was beholden to Cersei. And just the fact that he leaves, you know, for Winterfell and fights for the army of the living and makes the right choice there and then seems to momentarily fall for Brienne, which was something that had been brewing because of their admiration for each other, he never untied that bond to Cersei. So for me, him ending up in King's Landing and going out with Cersei, I didn't even think it was spur of the moment just because, you know, what he heard... Uh, Sansa say what she said in Winterfell that you know I'd like to watch your sister executed it's too bad I won't be there I think that's when the bulb went off that holy shit I'm you know I'm as weird as it is still in love with my twin sister I haven't broken that and I need to be back there so but but again the problem is is there's still no regardless of how he feels about Cersei there's no motivation really for him to return you know until after he gets captured and after Tyrion gives him, you know, a plot that might be feasible, yeah, fine. But that what didn't happen. You know, his motivation didn't come till after the fact. You know, and it's it's 
you know, he's going to go back to Cersei. You know, when he makes the decision to go back to Cersei, it's like, to what end? You know, what is it he... What is he actually trying to accomplish? And and before, I do agree, again, when when he, you know, has kind of watched Cersei do these terrible things and, and sort of pulled away and then come back and then pulled away and then come back, there's always been a compelling thing. The most recent one being when, when she told him, you know, that she was pregnant, which, you know, we'll never know if that was true or not, and I guess it really doesn't matter, but... Um, but here, there's there's nothing. You know, I mean, he knew she was going to die. He knew they were going to attack her and kill her. All of that was well established, you know, prior to this, and he still made the decision. And there was no purpose, right? Right. Is what you're saying. There was no purpose to him going back. But right. I think that, you know, and that's, so in a way, we might be, we're agreeing on a lot of this. So I, I'm agreeing with you that there was no purpose to that. But I think that was his character, is that his purpose was her. See, he, I had just, no, he, he had no purpose yeah. other than her. Her purpose was to be with her, and that's that's what he did, even though it didn't make sense against all the odds, and that's what he did to his dying second. I, I, I disagree, you know. Um, you know, and Should again... We, huh? Go ahead, finish, well, finish your thought. And again, going back to uh, sort of the Kingslayer thing, too... That is one of the things that has been consistent from the very beginning about Jamie, is that yes, the the his Cersei's caused him to do terrible things, and he's a terrible person when he's around Cersei. But he also has had this uh, underlying sort of sense of nobility and pride, and it's not like Varys, you know, he served Cersei before, or his family, I should say, before the realm. Um, but he at least has had this sort of greater concept of, you know, of practicality, you know, of what needs to be done and what's feasible. And that doesn't, you know, and again, none of that exists here. You know, there is nothing practical or feasible or any sort of greater goal to him, you know, returning to Cersei. Um, it just, and, and again, it's something that could have easily been fixed. They could have written it in such a way that there was actually a, a clear motivation for him to return. That he didn't have to be such a you know a dick to everybody around him. That it it did you did feel you know when it was he, him though, man. He was a dick all along. That's I, who he was. He see, wasn't bad. I I you, that you're you're on an island on this one, Char. Um, <laughs> see that that's. That's nice. Yeah, that that's your always having hated Jamie, and I I because I, I couldn't disagree more, and I think most people would, uh, you know, I think that I'm in the majority opinion on this that most people would say I agree. that uh that, that that hasn't been of his character, but but in in any case that that was the one after Danny that that bothered me, uh probably the we, most. Can we talk about something Jamie related that bothered me, and I you know. I guess paraphrasing what my boy Adam Sachs, sure. who, by the way, has one of the most beautiful basketball jumpers I've ever seen in my life. Adam, never lose that jumper. Um, but, you know, like, I think he hit it dead on. I mean, can we just talk about for a second how unsatisfying Cersei's death was? Oh, yeah. I mean, literally, literally they had one job. They had one job in this whole thing, in this whole battle for King's Landing. I didn't care who took the Iron Throne. We all wanted Cersei dead. Right. You know, you can say everything about the show going with the Night King and how he was the villain. No, the, the the villain of this whole thing that we've hated since Joffrey died was Cersei. She's been the villain of this show. She's the person in charge of 
King's Landing. She's done numerous things that have ticked us all off, and we thought we were finally going to see her die. And instead, they give us a bunch of crumbling rock around her, dying, whimpering like a little girl, which, you know, that was kind of the cool part, was finally see her being completely helpless and dying in that fashion. But, I mean, that was just, that was too easy, no? Well, and even at that, I, I, I'll, I'll even disagree with that point, finally seeing her completely helpless, because we already have seen her completely helpless. You know, back in the, the, bo- the, the battle for Blackwater Bay, you know, she was on the verge of committing suicide along with uh, Joffrey, you know, because she was helpless, you know. And so we've already, th- that's not even new. We've already seen her in that position. Um, and, and furthermore, yeah, I agree. The, there was They basically had two options when it came to killing her. Option one was to allow for some sort of, you know, deathbed redemption or confession or something like that. Again, more to justify Jamie's character than hers, but at least that would have been something interesting. And option two was to kill her in a you know much more you know dramatic, satisfying way. And they did neither one. It, it was it was damn near an off-screen death, you know, because we didn't actually you know we just saw the thing collapse around her. Hell, for all we know, the way they've been treating things this season, she could easily be alive. Lord knows she didn't take any worse of a of a of, of a death blow than. Tormund and and friggin' Dendarian did when the damn wall fell. So, it, it, yeah, it was a, it was a wholly unsatisfying scene. But how do you how do you mess that up? I, I know. Mean, how amongst all the complaints, you know, I had a bigger problem with Daenerys. It sounds like you had a problem there too. I didn't have a problem with Jamie, but you did, and I think most people are with you. But the Cersei thing was the easiest one. Well, I yeah, mean, we, they decided she was going to die. We knew she was going to die, and she dies like that. Come on, guys! Right? Come on! You got to You got to give us something more than we've been waiting too long yeah. to see this. You had to deliver there. Yeah, I mean, when you give, uh, when you give the mountain, you know, debatably a much more tr- uh, dramatic and and interesting yeah. death. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you on that one. I I, what I thought. Did you- what did you think about that? What did you think of the whole Clegane Bolt? The I loved it. Clegane loved did it. you? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, man, I'm it. with you. But tell me. All right. What did you love about it? So two things. Um, two things about it that I loved. And, 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 and again, here's another one where I'm going, we might be split on this, because I definitely disagree with the general consensus on this one, is I've had several friends of mine, and I've seen a couple things talking about how you know, about how, um, you know, when Arya and the Mountain show up and the Mountain, you know, basically talks her out of trying to murder Cersei and, and because, you know, you don't want to end up like me, blah, 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 blah. And I've heard, I've seen several people and heard several of my friends say, well, that's that's totally, you know, against Arya's character and, and, and you know, just totally unconvincing, which I completely disagree with. Um, and granted, Arya has already committed revenge on several people. I mean, she's murdered several people. Um, but we one thing they have done, really since she's gotten back, and really I think since Baelish's death, I really do think in some ways Baelish's death was sort of the trigger for this, is they have sort of painted this picture of her kind of beginning to become debtor and to realize that these sacrifices or these that these revenge killings aren't really bringing her 
the peace of mind and and the the satisfaction that she's been seeking and then uh, compound to that the fact that her you know she i mean she had ptsd from last up from not last episode but from um you know the 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 battle for winterfell i mean that was clear you know i think they that they painted more and more that this is this life that she's chosen is taking a very real toll on her and she's beginning to realize it and then i think she finally saw when that happens when clegane says you know you don't want to end up like me i think that finally crystallized for her that that is the path she's been going down and eventually the 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 vengeance will be you know just completely meaningless and that's also the reason why i love the clegane bowl so much is the other complaint that i've seen about people in regards to it was it was such an arbitrary meaningless trudge of a fight you know where you've got these two guys just beating on each other one of which you can't really be killed um that was my problem well and that's but that's perfect because it is a perfect metaphor for what it really is that that sandor's vengeance and his quest against to, to kill his brother metaphors, by the way. yeah uh to kill his brother to kill the mountain was always pointless and arbitrary and and just a trudge you know it it, it isn't it doesn't have a greater purpose or a greater meaning it's it really is just that um kind of painful you know and and the fact that they made the fight that sort of kind of just painful to watch and finally it just ends with the two of them you know ostensibly you know dying together in a in a suicide murder suicide move by uh by the hound i you know i think makes perfect sense and i think it was perfectly fitting of their character and i think the whole thing was such a metaphor for the emptiness and and the treachery of the vengeance that he sought this whole time um, I, I I thought it was great. I, I I thought it went exactly as it should have. You know, and admittedly, I didn't think about it the way you did. And now that you explain it that way, I like it more. At the time, my exactly my main problem on it, just on a peripheral level, was that the Hound is fighting this battle against this guy that's already dead. I what? guess more so that he can't be killed. It's that he's already dead. And because the Hound, you know, Hound was one of the guys that I actually thought his redemption arc was understated particularly with his relationship to Arya, which he kind of got to, but I want to get into more. Um, but yeah, the Hound was someone who you were rooting for at the end. And to see him, you know, uncover his brother's face, I mean, he'd already won. Right. You know, everything that his brother had done to him, it had been done back to the mountain tenfold. And it just would have been nice if the Hound took his own advice to Arya. It would have just given up. But I get what you're saying. And I, you know, I think it did do a good job of illustrating that. One but, thing I want to touch on, though. Well, real quick. Yeah, real go quick. for it. One thing I'll also say, too, is there is a reason, and, and the show kind of glossed over this some, and again, this is a pacing thing. It would have been nice to see this develop more, but there is a reason that there was this bond between the Hound and Dondarrion is because even though the Hound doesn't believe in the Lord of Light or any of that stuff, I do think Dendarian instilled in him this sense of a higher calling and a greater purpose. But in the Hound's case, that higher calling and greater purpose wasn't him. You know, that's why he saved Arya, you know, from Winterfell. You know, that's why he helped Dondarian. That's why he 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 told Arya, you know, got Arya to turn back, is I think he 
sort of took that mantle that his higher calling was Arya and was making sure she was on the right track, that he actually did believe that there was a greater, you know, uh, um, fate for her, you know, maybe not in a, a mystical way, you know, more in a, hey, this kid's pretty cool, you know, uh, hopefully she turns out all right kind of way. But still, and I think he had reached the point where he had basically accomplished that, or at least as well as he's going to, and and now there really is no purpose left in his life except for the blood quest that he's had his his whole life. Well, and that's a payoff. You know, we're talking about an episode where we feel like they flipped the script on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought, you know, we did a great job again laying it out with Daenerys, and you know, you did a good job laying it out with Jamie, even though I'm still disagreed, but. They, they flipped the script on a lot of things, but the one thing they didn't flip the script on, and the one thing we got a payoff on, was this Arya-Hound relationship, right. which, you know, had, is going back four or five years. And, you know, the Hound, like it or not, you know, and Arya may have finally come to that realization in the last second, but the Hound was the closest thing to, like, a father figure that she had. After Ned Stark was gone and she was on the road, it was the Hound who was watching out for her. Albeit, he was doing it for improper reasons. He wanted to sell her back to her family, at the same time, you know, he fought Brienne for her, you right. know, even when he couldn't sell her back to her family, and he did take care of her, and it kind of, you know, in a weird way, like, them riding together as equals, and him seeing what Arya could do, and even him telling Gendry off last episode, when Gendry's like, hey, where's Arya, and he's like, you know, now's a hell of a time to be thinking with your dick, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he did, he did have this relationship with her, and you're right, it culminated in that final second where he was like, Look, I gotta. If she's not gonna save her own life at this point, I gotta do something to help save her life. And she realized that, and she came that you know by thanking him, and she came to that realization that I had personally been hoping for the whole time. If you remember back to our first podcast this season, I didn't like the lukewarm reception they had when they were first at Winterfell, but right. gradually it grew, and gradually it grew into something like this. And I thought this was a huge payoff, and it was nice to see. Particularly one of the, one of the moments I really liked the best. You know, it's weird. In an episode where Daenerys is a total badass, you know, and isn't cool what she did at the end, but the way she broke through King's Landing and opened the gates and everything, I mean, it doesn't get any more badass than that. But I actually thought that was the second most, you know, killer thing to happen in this episode. I thought the most badass thing is when the Hound and Arya rode into the Stark camp and Arya just looks, you know, stone-faced in the guard's eye who doesn't recognize her, and she's like... Yeah, I'm Arya Stark, and I'm here to kill Cersei. Right. And then the Hound's like, yep, that's what she's here to do. <laughs> Might even save your life. Like, it was just, I mean, it was basically shows, like, who Arya had become, and also the fact that Hound had accepted the fact that, you know, his little protege that he protected when she couldn't protect herself is now the most deadly killer out there, you know, that they possibly have on their side and possibly on any side still alive. So, yeah, I think the part of the Clegane Bowl... I enjoyed, and it seemed like you know you did too. Was that that it gave us that final Arya and Hound moment? Yeah, I agree. What have we not covered? We uh, haven't covered John. We haven't covered Jon Snow yet. Eh, whatever, we can in a second. Let, <laughs> let me interject because I think now is just a good time as kind of a throwaway piece. One of the again, one of the things I hated about this episode is going back to my criticisms of the the long night of the battle for Winterfell is so I don't even know like I thought all of the Dothraki were dead but apparently they're not I thought that you know it, it we 
by all accounts, the the dead overran all of the forces and and killed a lot of them, but there apparently were still a lot left. Um, the the scorpions last episode were unstoppable dragon killing machines, and here they were completely ineffective. Like it, again, the the complete lack of any sort of uh, consistency when it comes to the the battle stuff was infuriating this episode the golden company was built up as this great army and became completely useless you know it's like they, they built up you know a- after the battle for winterfell you know the feeling was well crap they're so spent now there's no way they're going to be able to kill cersei and then suddenly it the you know they basically say well no we're actually we still have an advantage over Cersei, and the next thing you know, you know their their navy, you know, uh, is is completely destroyed. One of their dragons is killed. Um, the Dothraki, up until this episode, you know, we thought were were all dead from the Long Night, um, and so it's like, well, now actually Cersei probably has the advantage. It's like, well, nope, not at all. And it's like, what is it? there's no at no point do we have any concept about where any of this stands or how powerful anything is and then also the other didn't you think you you really thought that daenerys had the advantage as far as men went i mean she clearly had the dragon which ended up being more of a trump card than any of us anticipated but when you looked at the golden company inside the gates outside the gates and then you had the lannister army inside the gates and you still had king's landing i mean i thought without the dragon you know it was hopelessly took and you had euron outside too i was kind of expecting yara to arrive and maybe take on euron but we never got that finish um but yeah it seemed i I thought cersei had a clear advantage until the dragon basically turned into the trump card if if you look at the size of the armies i i disagree um or at least what we saw of them I, i i disagree um and 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 more to the point uh well, and and I'm not saying, and I guess that's my point is I'm not saying I thought that uh, Danny had uh, you know any sort of advantage. the The point was they went in saying, well, you know, it's it's roughly even, but it wasn't. I mean, they just ransacked them. You know, even even if we but that's because of the dragon. Yes, and no. Even if we take away the dragon. Well, for, and first of all, the, the, they should have had an equal or, or advantageous footing with the dragon, considering the Scorpions fucking just murdered Rhaegal, you know, last episode, and almost murdered Drogon, and right. here right. didn't do a damn thing. Um, but setting that aside for a second, you know, even after she, you know, blows the walls down, um, the the north the the Northmen slash Dothraki just run ransack through their forces inside the gate. To the, the, I love that, by the way. When the Dothraki, I thought the Dothraki were gone. Seeing them, and then seeing them kick the Lannisters' ass. Yeah. I mean, what again? So much, so much wrong with this episode. But watching the Lannisters get their ass kicked. I mean, yes. Yeah. Again, how are the Dothraki not gone? You know, they clearly right. make, yeah. <laughs> look like they were all killed. We didn't see another Dothraki again until this episode. Anyway, 
I just I had a lot of problems with all of that stuff. And then also, I was fine with it. I wanted to see them. I don't care how they accomplish oh. it. That part of it, I was fine. Oh. The major character plot point twisting and basically taking a dump on the Picasso that they'd made in seasons one through seven. That's where my issue was. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I'm saying this is. I'm just dumping it right now. And then the final thing I'll say real quick is uh, before we kind of get to John Stone, because I guess we should talk about that. The final point that we haven't talked about is. Man, the, nobody, nobody was clamoring for a Euron Jamie fight. Like I just whew, right, yeah. What was the point of that? I don't know. That that was so dumb. And it's like, and I know you're a bigger fan of Euron than a lot of people. And and bigger. I mean, I was rooting for Jamie. Right, you're right. Yeah. I am a bigger fan of Euron. I think he's entertaining as hell. But the um, but the problem with Euron that a lot of people have, and I think even you'll agree with this, is that. You know, he's entertaining as hell, but he's a, sort of a one-dimensional character. And and at no point was anybody like, oh, God, you know, we really want to see Euron get his comeuppance because he's not even that much... He's not like Joffrey. You know, right, he's not a character right. that's so profound that we were all dying to see this big right. battle to take him down. So I don't even know why they had any of that. Just, just have Euron die on the boat, you know, when he gets attacked by the dragon and leave it at that. It, 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 why does Euron get a more, you know, dramatic and fulfilling death than Cersei does? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, I mean, it made no sense. And it's not, I don't think it's really nitpicking the episode. Again, like going back to why the Dothraki are still alive, like, there that i think that's kind of nitpicking the episode and i didn't really care i was happy to see them uh but yeah you have this crazy war going on and we excuse us you know we're going to take a seven minute break from the crazy events that are going inside of king's landing to bring you this uh macho fight between one-armed jamie and euron for i guess the love and affection of cersei i mean which isn't going to make a difference anyways because cersei's about to die it just you know it had it really had no point to it yeah so, Jon Snow, what do you want to say about Jon Snow? I mean, I I don't know what there is to say, yeah, I know. except for what's... I was just thinking we haven't covered him yet. I, I mean, I don't know, Jon Snow didn't disappoint, he really didn't do much. I think it was a, uh, there was another you-know-nothing Jon Snow moment when Cersei attacks and he has this revelation that, holy shit, you know, have I made another mistake? Cersei or Danny, you mean? I mean, Daenerys, you're yeah. right, you're right. Yeah, you know, why didn't he just? You know, I mean, just take one for the team, man. She's coming on to you. They don't <laughs> have twenty three and me in Westeros. Like, right. just because Bran says it's true, there's still plausible deniability. I mean, I'm not advocating for incest, but you know, we don't have DNA tests. We don't know this for sure. It's not a hundred percent thing. Like, like think about how relaxed Daenerys would have been the next day. You know, everything would have been cool. She's got her love back. I mean, John, come on, buddy. Yeah, well, and, and I guess the the one thing I can add about John, and I do kind of agree with that, um, is the scene where still not a porn site, the red couch, by the way, right, despite us right. advocating for what we are right now, <laughs> despite advocating for incest. Um, I mean, ninety-seven percent chance of incest. Right, right. Um, but the thing, there was the one good sequence where when they do come across the Lannister forces and there's that tension and he gets them to surrender at first and then and then they attack and then he has them all full back when he realizes the entire city is going to you know burn to the ground and I I thought that was actually some of the best 
acting I've seen from Kit Harrington, who I'm not the biggest fan in the world of as an actor. And it, it that was all. It, the one thing I can at least say is that for all of us, uh, you know, critis- all the criticism we've launched at how this episode sort of betrayed all the character development, I think everything that happened, good and bad, was in keeping with John's character. You know, one, you know, he is the most righteous and and sympathetic and and empathetic you know character and also too he's a f- complete fucking idiot so you know <laughs> both of those things held true this episode right what do you think how do you, i mean there was a clear moment where they emphasized it during that chaotic battle scene where daenerys has now lost her mind and despite hearing the bell she's attacking and then gray worm advances too which by the way i found gray worm's position sort of defensible uh, you know, once Daenerys kind of lost her shit and gave them the signal that I don't care that they're, uh, you know, surrendering, we're attacking them. I don't think Grey Worm was left with any other option there. Well, and also, you know, I'll, I'll give Grey Worm, I'll cut him more slack because his character is one that's always been... So, he, it, I thought his stuff was fully fitting for his character because keep in mind that Grey Worm was bred and abused in such a way to be a killing machine and Masandi was the only thing that sort of kind of turned him back, and now she's dead. So there is absolutely no reason for Grey Worm not to be 100% just murder everything he possibly can. That definitely seemed fitting. I, I don't have a problem with Grey Worm out of all this episode. Right, and I forgot where we were going with that. Oh, I guess where I was going with this is that, so there was that moment that... Grey Worm turns and he sees John holding back his guys and begrudgingly entering the fight because they were attacked by Lannisters when all hell broke loose. Right. But, I mean, that's there's got to be somewhere they're going with this next episode, don't you think? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, they start the episode, and this is also a borrowed thought from my friend Steve Beagley, but, yeah, you know, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if they start the episode with Jon Snow in chains. You know, where she's, you know, they've rounded him up and she's questioning oh, him sure. as to, are, are you loyal or are you not? Sure. I mean, they, they got to do something. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that's totally plausible. So, I mean, we'll see. I I, I just, I don't know. I So, all right. And real quick, this feeds into the, the point I dropped earlier and then I want to get to, I guess, probably our, our last point before we move on to the next section is, is uh you know before we move on to winners and losers one not but there's a lot of losers this episode. oh there's so many but my so my 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 funny little internet quip before so the reason why Daenerys is is Bernie Sanders uh is because she's <laughs> you know good and bad you know she's actually done things to help poor people she's all for you know greater egalitarianism greater you know, lifting, you know, tyranny and, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And, and for the, 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 the working class and impoverished. And then the, the bad part of it is, is she's not, you know, outside of her sort of niche homegrown crowd, she's not particularly popular with anybody else. And, and she also has, you know, she's angry all the time, has a nasty temper. So to that end, you know, that was my analogy to, to Bernie Sanders, my Jon Snow to, to Joe Biden is listen, He's likable. Everybody likes yeah. him. He's got a very high approval rating. But you know, at the end of the day, is he really going to be that good at the job? So lo- lo- lovable idiot. Yeah. In a way, totally lovable idiot. You know, 
job. John Snow would have partied harder if he could. Joe oh, Biden thanks. definitely did in his heyday. So, <laughs> Diamond way, John Snow. Saying, but the Red Couch is a uh, is somewhat bipartisan organization. We don't endorse any particular candidate right. unless you know they'd like to contact us for advertising time. And at that point, you know, we'll we'll endorse them in connection oh, with totally. their advertising dollars. The Red Couch always looking to sell out. <laughs> Except to porn sites, we will right. not. Our promise to you is we will not sell our name to porn sites. But otherwise, yes, we're there, open to the highest bidder. You just let us know at any time you want. What did you think of Arya suddenly finding that horse at the end of the oh, episode and riding off? Oh, so I I was shocked by that. Uh, not that sequence, but the the reaction on the internet because. It seemed like the like I read this or saw this article that like it was a grand epiphany, and I thought everybody got that. It's all right. So the horse is one hundred percent an analogy to Revelations. So in in the book of Revelations, the the there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Death, uh, also known as the Pale Rider. Um, because his horse is a is a pale mare, is a white horse covered in ash. So when she looks up and sees this white horse covered in ash, it's like immediately I was like, I thought it was actually super heavy handed. Immediately I was like, oh god, you know that's obviously a pretty blatant allegory. You know she's Arya half has become death. Um, you know uh, whatever the, the the line is has become death. Uh, ender of worlds or i forget what the exact quote is but anyway um but yeah so that's that 100 percent. that's what they were doing um and instead well, huh go actually finish your thought i was gonna say instead i read all these things that are like where'd the horse come from what's the deal with the horse i'm like well that's obviously the deal with the horse now we can have an argument over whether or not that's you know, plausible, but that's obviously what they're going for. And I think it's clearly painting the picture that she is now fully intent on assassinating Danny. You know, I mean, that's right. That's right. Well, what color going. are Danny's eyes? I mean, Cersei with the green eyes are gone. So I, I, you know. people have said green. I, I couldn't, you couldn't prove it by me. I haven't actually checked to verify that, but yeah. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the safest bet to where we're headed. Although, you know, based on this week, you know, nothing safe, which, hey, even though they assassinated all the, you know, most of the characteristics about the favorite characters we've developed, at least they kept with our common theme of you don't know what the hell we're going to do right. on any given Sunday. So, um, but yeah, I think that's where we're headed with Arya too. I don't know. You know what? I don't have a problem with the horse either. I mean, there were a million horses. Well, not a million, but there were a bunch of horses in the city. Right. Both from the invading Dothraki and both from the people there. And, you know, there were some people who survived this onslaught. Oh, so sure. why is it that crazy to think a horse did? Sure. Uh, and, yeah, great great explanation about the Book of Revelations. Yeah, I didn't catch that. So it's good to know that. All right, let's – I think we've covered basically everyone we wanted to cover. Yep. Is there anything, is there anything that needs to be said about Tyrion at this point? No. Uh, nothing that we haven't already exhausted ad nauseum. There was no big turns for Tyrion, you know. That's we'll see. I will say this: your theory about John being in chains next episode, Tyrion's definitely going to be in for some deep shit next episode. Though I guess the one thing I will say about Tyrion, 
and and I don't want to spend a lot of time on the death pool because eh, who who even really cares anymore? But do we think Tyrion's going to survive to the end of the the show? I think we've had a split opinion on this before. I always thought he would, but then there were more and more signs about him just slipping and it was one bad decision after another right. and every time we have one character who keeps making bad decision it leads to them dying um but it, well, i don't know i think i'm in here about like who really cares anymore yeah at this point i mean i'm so disappointed so disappointed about the way that we're closing out with daenerys after all this and how untrue it is to everything and just you know somewhat lesser but also disappointed about the way cersei went out and it just, you know, it's, I, I don't know, like in a weird way, you know, like you're, again, you're sad when Ned Stark gets his head chopped off and you're sad at the Red Wedding, but this is just, this isn't, you know, I guess you're kind of sad for Daenerys, you know, like in a way they've killed the, you know, the Daenerys, that, and I was never team Daenerys all the way, but, you know, I had a healthy respect for her, uh, for all the reasons that I went into, and they there's just no coming back from this and there's no coming back from this for King's Landing or the way things were and oh yeah no it, it, I mean they you know we're kind of mourning the loss of like the world that we had understood I mean as, as big of a monster as Cersei was like you knew what you were getting there was an order to things and there was a good and bad and right now it's just you know there's a lot that doesn't make sense to me. I'm confused Z I'm I confused know. I think we all are so aside so, from Aside from us, who were the... Let's do winners and losers. Let, and let's do losers first. Cause us! We were the losers. Us, yeah. yeah that's, we, that's we were... I mean, we can totally agree to that, true. right? I think we yeah, were the yeah. I think the world was a... Look, nobody here is... At least, uh, I think you share this opinion. Our views... Um, the view on the show hasn't changed. This is... To me, This it, it was the greatest show I've ever seen in my lifetime. It still is the greatest show. You can't replace the last seven and a half years i don't even care about some of the nitpicky stuff with pacing this season you can't get rid of that but this we were abundantly the biggest loser based on this episode just because of the way they closed out all this stuff that had been built up and what we're you know dealing with now as far as the reality we have to accept with daenerys right uh going forward and we're left with that you know that's going to be the last thing legacy of this show so i think you know we were a loser and i think the writers were a loser too you know i mean they were think about it you know just the enormous fandom of this show i mean it's just immeasurable the support of this show worldwide not just in the states but just everywhere the show and they were you know they were it's basically the equivalent of pete carroll on the one yard line in the super bowl (laughs) against the patriots where he can sneak in with marshawn lynch you know, sorry to use a football analogy for not, you, you non-football people. But, yeah, you, they, I mean, they were on the one-yard line. They just got to sneak it in, and they do this. They throw a Hail Mary on the one-yard line with three downs to go, and it ends up getting picked by the other team. So shame on you guys. Just run it. Just do the simple thing for once. You could have done the simple thing and go in, except you had to do this. Well, and, and to build on your analogy, because this, this is one of the areas we disagree on, is... I, to this day, will defend Pete Carroll's... I will defend Pete Carroll's decision to pass on that. Because if you're going to pass, that's the time to do it. Because it is not what people expect. But when you've got... Uh, you know, in, in in Russell Westbrook, when you've got a... Uh, or not Russell Westbrook. Let's try that again. Wilson. Uh, when you've got a... Um, 
a, uh, a quarterback that actually can use his feet, get him out in the open, get him on the move, and get him throwing to an area of, of the end zone where if he doesn't complete it, you know, it's either going to go out of bounds or, well, it's going to go out of bounds. You know, get it to where only his receiver could potentially get to it. You know, and, and again, to continue to feed your analogy back into the show, if you're going to do something unexpected, if the Raiders were going to do something unexpected, do something that fits the tools that you have. Do it, you know, that fits the characters, the personnel that you have. Instead, what they did was they, they right, they, they did a, a slot pass up the middle from a, you know, from the pocket, from a guy that, you know, doesn't have that skill set. They, they broke everything that we know about, you know, what their strategy, what their personnel is to do a completely stupid, asinine move. <laughs> Let us know how you really feel. I love it. Um, I love it. I guess, I mean, if I got to name a character that lost, I mean, my obvious loser is Daenerys. It just, I think this just betrayed everything that she had built herself up to be. I don't think she wanted to be this person. Again, she avoided being this person at all costs. She avoided being this person at the beginning of season seven when she was told to do this. She even, you know, there's another example of this happening too when she avoided doing it, you know, the, earlier this season when they were in Winterfell and Tyrion and Jon Snow come up with a plan where rather than attack King's Landing, we're going to surround the city. And she also avoided it, you know, when she came at the end of last episode and literally people were saying she never negotiated. She literally sent Tyrion to the gates to talk to his sister. Right who was probably going to kill him and for some reason didn't talk about betrayal of character arches, but to negotiate. So she avoided this at all costs this time and then basically were led to believe that, nope, she's having an emotional meltdown and all of that is over. Yep. No, I agree. And I'll add one more loser too, and that's, and we'll see that this may or may not pan out for all of the people I'm about to mention, but all of the characters who basically are, are, are for all meaningful purposes are now dead to the show. You know, I mean, all, all these characters that we spent so much time, you know, developing their arcs and, 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 and learning to love and all that, you know, brands probably fucking gone. Brands probably not going to show up again or, you know, in any meaningful way. Um, you know, I mean, the, the Gendry, who knows at this point? I mean, anyway, you cut it, there's going to be all these characters that we spent so much time on that are just, that are just gone now, you know? Torment. Yeah, Torment. Torment. You know, it's like, you know, what, why, what, you know, and I understand you can't have a great ending for all of these characters, but just leaving them all basically, cause what's common with all these is we've just left them all behind somewhere. Yara. You know, there's there we just abandoned them off screen basically. So well, well, we'll see. I don't think it's the last we've seen of the Winterfell subplot with Sansa and Brienne, and I, I'm guessing Podrick is still there, and I don't know where Gendry's off to. Yeah, and I, I mean, we might be done with Gendry, but I don't think we're done. I mean, Sansa's got to reappear. Oh yeah, we'll think? go back to Winterfell, but I I, I suspect it's going to be just for you know Sansa and like the main again the main characters. I don't know. And like I said, in any meaningful way, Bran might pop up at the end to be like, oh, I'm pregnant. You know, who knows? But I just, uh, it, what? It, it's a shame. I just feel like almost all of those characters are not going to get the ending they deserved. Quite likely. Um, all right. Well, do, do you have any winners for this week, Char? I'm scratching my head trying to think of one. I mean, it, 
for, for the faction of us that wanted the Lannister army dead, I, I think there's that. Yeah. I, uh, I think Arya, in a way, is a winner. Arya, I think, I think in a way, is a winner. Um, oh, and I do want to say one thing real quick while we're on Arya. I, again, where I'm going to kind of break with the crowd, maybe, is I saw a lot of people complaining about how ridiculous the fact that Arya kept surviving things uh, as the city's falling apart. Um, and uh, there's probably some truth to that, but at the same time, the, it was equally ridiculous how she kept surviving things as Winterfell was falling apart, so whatever. Um, but the thing I did really like about that was those were some of the best shot, best set sequences in the entire episode. Um, you know, it, They really did a good job portraying just how terrible everything was by bringing it down to Arya's level and portraying the, the confusion and the destruction and the kind of the small scale perspective on the larger scale, you know, genocide that's going on. And, you know, I thought those were great. And the fact that Arya survived it, yeah, I'll give her a winner. And I guess I'll also maybe give Tyrion a winner because he should also be dead four times over by now at the end of the episode. We don't know. He might yet be executed next episode. Who knows? But so far, at least, he, both he and Arya are inexplicably alive, so I guess that's good for them. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So, well, we're almost to the finish line, man. I mean, one more week, and oh, God. it's hard to even think about what, <laughs> I mean, what do you even think at this point? I'm, I don't know. But I'm we're, scared, but we'll see. We, we are where we are. Um, to the people out there, you know, if you've come this far with us, thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. If you could do one more thing for us, just one more quick step. Again, open up that podcast app on your iPhone and the iTunes library. Look for Red Couch and use the Doesn't Suck. Hit the subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. That'll keep us going. If you don't have an iPhone, the easiest way to find us is on Facebook. Look for the Red Couch. Our symbols, this big... Oh, red box with rc lettering and black in the middle and then if that doesn't work for you the third way to find us is on soundcloud.com which is a free app you just got to download and subscribe to it so thanks again for sticking with us these last couple of years we really enjoyed it we got one more episode to go um well and then we you know, we're, we're gonna make it through together yeah well and then for those of you that do subscribe keep in mind i mean uh, there might be other content from the red couch but also uh you know we have We'd always do another HBO series, and we've got the we've got the prequel spinoff coming out sometime in the next couple of years. I mean, Lord knows it won't be any more of a delay than it was for this season. So we'll be back for those too. All right, uh, all right, all right that, man. That's all I got. I feel better. I feel better. And adios. Adios.